Good morning. What a wonderful day. Let's all stand up and praise the Lord together. Let's sing the first song. It's called How Deep the Father's Love for Us. great to have you here with us this morning. This next song is called Prince of Peace. We've done it before, um, but you're going to have to split up, and all of the guys are going to have to sing with Arthur and Andy, and the ladies can sing with me, but it's all up on the screen. It'll be split, and you'll be fine. You'll do great. Let's sing together.
And children, come up front and join us for a few moments of sharing. Glad to see you here this morning. I brought something to show you. These are some pencils we have at our house. You guys have pencils at your house? Look at them. Yep, they're all different colors. What else do you notice about them? Yeah, one does have a princess on it. You're right. You notice anything else? Look at the ends of them. Can you see the? You did. What'd you say? I didn't hear you. Yeah, Lauren said the erasers don't look like they work very well, do they? All right, let me tell you a story. There are all kinds of pencils. Short pencils, long pencils, skinny pencils, and fat pencils. Yellow, red, black, and white pencils. There are many different shapes and sizes and colors of pencils, but there's one thing that these pencils do have in common. That eraser is worn off of every one of them. You know what that tells me? That I make a lot of mistakes. And when I make a mistake, I have to erase and start all over again and over again sometimes until I get it right. I don't know why I keep all these pencils because as many mistakes as I make, a pencil without an eraser is pretty useless, isn't it? But these pencils remind me of people. People come in different sizes and shapes and colors too, but we all have one thing in common. We all make mistakes. We make a lot of mistakes. That's why God sent Jesus to us. To help erase our mistakes. When we do something wrong, we can ask God to forgive us. And because of Jesus, he will erase our mistakes and we can start over again. 
and again and again. Unlike these pencils, God's eraser never wears out. Just as God forgives us over and over again, Jesus taught us that we should forgive other people over and over again. One day, Peter asked Jesus, How many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? Should I forgive him seven times? I imagine that Peter was pretty proud of himself for being willing to forgive somebody seven times. But Jesus answered, Not seven times, but seventy times seven times. I think Jesus knew that if he said we should forgive somebody 70 times, 7 times, we would never be able to even keep count, and we would forgive over and over and over again, just as he forgives us. So it doesn't matter if we are short or tall, skinny or fat, red, white, yellow, or black, we all need God's forgiveness. We also need to remember that Jesus taught us that we are to forgive others just like God forgives us. So I brought an eraser for you guys today to take home and remember that unlike this eraser, God's eraser never wears out. Will you pray with me? Dear Jesus, we all make mistakes. Thank you for coming to erase those mistakes. Help us to forgive others the same way you forgive us over and over and over again. Amen. Oh, they're different colors, and we're jockeying for position here. <clears throat> Got a Gamecock color one there? I saw some Clemson colors. <clears throat> it's good to see all of you as we come together to worship God this day. And I uh, want to especially welcome those who are visiting with us today. Uh, we, we're here every Sunday. And so we invite you to come back. There are a few Sundays we combine services for special events, but most weeks we have our two services, one at 9 and one at 11. Um, and so we invite you to come back as often as you can to worship with us. We also invite you to share any concerns you might have and uh, people that, that you uh, are concerned about and would li like us to join you in prayer. Uh, and we invite you to share that with us all by writing something on an index card. If you will lift your hand, our ushers will get you an index card, um, and you can write something there that I can repeat, and we will share your prayer concern um, today. Today is Good Samaritan Sunday. Um, we invite you to offer an extra dollar bill today. Um, dollar bills are collected, um, and we will use that to help the needy of our community that seem to be growing in numbers uh, during these difficult days of the economy. So we invite you to share with your neighbors in need. Children, Sunday night program for mission kids, Bible study and choir is from 5.30 to 7, and that continues tonight. All preschool and elementary kids are invited to join us. Adult Bible studies will also meet tonight. The United Methodist men are sponsoring a pancake supper on Tuesday the 20th of September, 6.30 p.m. here in the Family Life Center. Tickets are seven o'clock and are available online or through one of the Methodist men. 
see Adam Wycliffe or Eric Jeter uh, today. Uh, we invite your support of our United Methodist Men's Group. Let me bring you up to date on some of our prayer concerns. Um, Barbara McClyman is home following surgery on Friday. Margaret Williams is back in the hospital in Greenville Memorial. Um, don't think it's anything too serious this time, thank goodness. Ann Dobson was in and out of the hospital this week, but doing okay at, uh, again. We're thankful for that. Um, Carm Hudson called and asked you to join the Hudson family in prayer for Sean Alexander Hudson, um, newborn son of Roger and Ivy Hudson, uh, grandson of Carm, born on September the 7th in Kona, Hawaii. The baby suffered a seizure immediately after his birth and had to be transferred very quickly by a helicopter to a neonatal unit in a hospital in Honolulu where he can be very closely monitored. Uh, we asked the church family to pray for baby Sean's complete recovery. Heard from Carm yesterday and she said that um, she says the prayers are being answered. The little baby seems to be getting stronger and stronger and we are grateful for that. Uh, we also have so many things on our hearts and mind today uh, regarding um, the date and we'll talk about that in a minute. Ushers, if you can help get the, if you finished your prayer card, if you raise your hand. <clears throat> oh, nominating committee will remember their meeting today at four o'clock. Um, if you heard the local news, you know that a young Walford student, uh, sophomore died very unexpectedly yesterday and, and uh, lots of uh, our folks are connected to Walford and that's a, a very difficult time for them and for all of us. Um, so be in prayer for those students as they adjust. Thank you to that, uh, to that loss. We've got our colors coordinated now, Tim. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to <clears throat> begin our time in prayer today with a prayer that was on the United Methodist Church uh, Board of Discipleship website written by the Reverend Jeremy Pridgen for today uh, in memory of the fact that this has been 10 years since 9-11. Uh, um, it's been on all of our hearts and minds. If you've had the television on at all, you know that that's all that's on the news. I was thinking about that this morning and thinking about um, those first few days following 9-11 when all the airplanes were grounded and a lot of folks were trying to, to get home. Um, NFL canceled all games the following Sunday because the, the crowded stands were just uh, too big a t tempting target for terrorists. Uh, it was a time we wondered what would be the next shoe to fall. And so there was a lot of fear for many days. I remember the Super Bowl being a time when people were afraid once again. Uh, we have been through a lot in these 10 years, and um, it is worth uh, giving God thanks that we have made it through so many trials. And so I will begin with this prayer for the anniversary of 9-11, and then I will continue with your prayers. Let us pray. O oh God, our hope and refuge, 
In our distress, we come quickly to you. Shock and horror of that tragic day have subsided, replaced now with an emptiness, a longing for an innocence lost. We come remembering those who lost their lives in New York, Washington, and Pennsylvania. We are mindful of the sacrifice of public servants who demonstrated the greatest love of all by laying down their lives for friends. We commit their souls to your eternal care and celebrate their gifts to a fallen humanity. We come remembering and we come in hope, not in ourselves, but in you. As foundations we once thought secure have been shaken, we are reminded of the illusion of security. In commemorating this tragedy, we give you thanks for your presence in our time of need, and we seek to worship you in spirit and in truth, our guide and our guardian. And Lord, these are our special prayers for this day. We pray for troops in harm's way, their families and loved ones, for Betty Foster, for those traveling home this week, for Wade Kinnett, Doris Wright, Neil Weeson family, our country. We pray for the family of Randall Heffron and the Wofford community. We pray for the people of 9-11 who lost somebody. And we remember and we remember their loss of loved ones. We pray for family members seeking jobs, for the children of all those who perished in the 911 tragedy. We pray for a sister who is searching for a job. We pray for families affected by 911. Again, we pray for our, our country and families, for Nana Bud the Thomas family and the Chapman family, Ms. Samuelson's mother who had surgery, Ms. Lauren Clute's teacher is Ms. Samuelson. Lord, these are our prayers this day through Jesus Christ our Lord, who has taught us to pray saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Sermon title is Deliverance. Thank you very much. Ah, scripture reading for the day is Exodus chapter 14. <clears throat> Exodus 14, do we? Here we go. Then the angel of, the, of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. 
Throughout the night, the cloud broke dark, brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and the cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let us get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The waters flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived, but the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Here ends the lesson. <clears throat> this is a most interesting day to be a lectionary preacher, which I am. A lectionary preacher is one who follows the ecumenical readings for a given Sunday, an Old Testament lesson, an epistle lesson, and a gospel lesson as decided by the committee many, many years ago. Now, by following the lectionary, we preachers are forced to preach on some text that we might otherwise avoid. And if people attend church regularly, especially weekly, then you will hear most all of the Bible read over a three-year period. So there is some good things about it. But today's lessons pose a great deal of problem for a lectionary preacher because this is the 10th anniversary of 9-1-1. The gospel lesson for today was one referred to in the children's sermon has to do with forgiveness. And lots of us have told me this week that you're not exactly in the mood to be very forgiving on this anniversary. The epistle lesson is about getting along with people that are different from you. And again, most of us don't particularly want to try to understand our adversaries today. The Old Testament reading was also a big problem. The General Board of Discipleship of the United Methodist Church urged caution in reading the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. In fact, they encouraged not reading it at all. You see, right now, relationships between Egypt and Israel are in the worst shape they've been in in about 40 years. And Americans of Arab descent are not going to be happy today hearing Christian preachers rubbing in an Old Testament story about a time when we claim God sided with Israel 
in an ancient conflict. Now, when I was in seminary, we were taught to be very careful as we talked about the crucifixion, to talk about religious leaders and political leaders rather than a whole nation of people so that, so that ill feelings are not stirred up against the people that still exist today when it was just a handful of leaders that actually opposed Jesus. So now we are being reminded to be very careful as we tell about that ancient conflict and the crossing of the sea so that we don't make matters worse. There's also somewhat of an internal conflict inside of myself today. I personally like to downplay anniversaries of tragic events. I would just as soon uh, not be reminded of the sad things that happen in our lives. But most people are not like me. Many of you have a great need to remember 911 today. And so my calling to be your pastor is overruling my basic instincts to try to run the other way, but to face up to what happened to us 10 years ago and talk about that. So on Tuesday of this week, after the Labor Day holiday, I scrapped the sermon I'd already begun working on causing June to have to retype the bulletin that she already had prepared to print for today because I decided to go in a different direction. Maybe there are some lessons in that Exodus passage that can speak to our hearts today as we remember September 11th, 2001. There are a few similarities as I thought about those two stories. For one thing, it was our very existence that made us the object of hatred of the terrorist, just as it was the very existence of the Israelites that caused Pharaoh to hate and fear them. <clears throat> the terrorists who declared war on us see capitalism, our way of life, our religious freedom and tolerance, our very existence as a threat against the life that they prefer. The fact that Israelite slaves existed and might side with an invading army made them the objects of fear and hatred. Perhaps it is our freedom and independence that threatens those despotic uh, leaders of the Middle East who want to enslave their people in some very strict cultural customs. Another similarity is after 9-1-1, we cried out to the Lord for help, just as the slaves of Egypt had also done. I remember that Sunday after 9-1-1, the 16th, when there was no football, so I guess there was nothing else to do, but the churches were packed. We had two services over in Spartanburg that morning, and there was not a seat in the house. And that was following a service we'd already had during the week that had been packed full at noon on a work day. People were frightened. People were crying out to the Lord. The slaves of Egypt had done that also. When God appeared to Moses at the burning bush, God said, I've heard the cry of the people. I've indeed seen their misery and I have heard them crying because of the slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering when we were brought to our knees by the attacks of 911. We cried out to God for help, 
And God heard us. God always hears those who cry out to him. God always hears his children in their hour of need. And then in Exodus 14, when the people of Israel were backed up against the Red Sea with the army of Pharaoh coming out to get them, the people began to grumble and complain and to doubt, grumbling against God. In those days following 9-1-1, I spent many hours talking with people, especially young adults and our teenagers, who had had their visions of the world shattered and their innocence destroyed, and they too were grumbling about God because they didn't understand. If God really exists, they said to me, then why would he let all those innocent people in those airplanes die and why would God let those towers collapse, killing all those people? Many eventually recovered from their time of doubt, as did the people of Moses' day. But it was a very difficult time for idealistic youth to understand why people would, thorough, would so thoughtlessly kill others. And how could God permit that? Some had never really thought about the tension between human free will that God has given us and the sovereignty of God, the will of God, which he controls in our world. It didn't help them any when some high-profile preachers of that day suggested that because of all the sins of modern America, God had removed his protection from over us, and that's why the terrorists were able to attack us successfully. You know, that caused me to look diligently at American history for proof that God had ever protected us from enemy attack, and I couldn't find it. We were not sheltered in, in, in the War of 1812 when in 1814 the British came in and attacked and burned Washington, D.C. President Lincoln was not protected from assassination. The USS Maine was not protected when it was attacked and sunk in 1898 during the Spanish-American War. And Pearl Harbor certainly was not under a blanket of divine protection on the day it was attacked. But those who believed those high-profiled preachers could blame God and sinful America, you know, those people out there, those sinful Americans, for the attack of 911. Not only did the people of Exodus grumble against God, they also complained against their leader, Moses. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us down to the desert to die? What have we done that you brought us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the desert. In the days after 9-1-1, people began complaining about President Bush for not seeing this attack coming and against President Clinton for not doing more against the terrorists while he was in office. As Christians, you and I are told to pray for our leaders but as Americans in the post-9-11 world, 
we spend a lot more time complaining about our leaders than we do in praying for them, don't we? Guess what God's going to ask us about someday? Where our prayers were. It was all Moses' fault, they said. It was their fault in Washington, we said. But on a more positive note, another similarity in these stories is the fact that there was deliverance that came to the people of Israel and there was deliverance that came for us in America. In the Old Testament story, God made a way where there was no way. God parted the sea and enabled the people to cross it as if it was dry land. There were many trials yet to come for those people, many more times of doubt, but there was deliverance that day at the Red Sea. There will be many more trials yet to come for us in America. We're under a threat even today, as we remember. But we can celebrate the fact that for 10 years, many plots against us have been thwarted. A man with a bomb in his shoe failed in his plot several Christmases ago, and other plots have been stopped, thanks in part to loyal Arab Americans who listened and heard about the plots and called the authorities. That fact has caused some political leaders to suggest that the best thing we can do for our country is to make sure that all people who live in our country experience all the freedoms that America has to offer them, and as a result of those freedoms, they will be more likely to turn in those that threaten their own way of life that they've come to love and enjoy. God delivered those who cried out to him in slavery in Egypt, and God delivered them when their backs were up against the Red Sea. And God has been faithful to deliver us when the terrorists have come to destroy our way of life. And there's another similarity between the two stories, and that is for most of human history, Israel and Egypt have coexisted on friendly terms. The 12 tribes of Israel went down to Egypt during the famine because they were made to feel welcome by the Pharaoh and by his top commander, Joseph. Even after the Exodus, the largest community of Jews in the world was found in Alexandria, Egypt. When Mary and Joseph were afraid of King Herod, where did they go to hide and for safety? They went to Egypt, the place of safety for the baby Jesus. All this is to say that enemies one day can be friends the next. It is particularly our way of life as Americans to work to make enemies into our friends. That was true in our handling with the Germans and the Italians and the Japanese after World War II. Now, back in the 1960s, when I was a Walford student, nothing I wanted more than two things, a dated Converse and a Volkswagen. <clears throat> but my father, who had walked all over France and Germany, nixed the idea of a Volkswagen bug. No siree, nothing but us, but a USA car would do for me. Daddy wouldn't give in. And then as a young pastor, back in the 1970s, I was advised not to buy that Japanese import that I was driving around in because the veterans of my church who fought in the Pacific would be very offended 
That's not that long ago, the 70s. I don't think this is an issue anymore. Lots of you drives, drive Hondas and Nissans and, and everything else. Uh, a BMW. A BMW is right here in our community. That was an enemy plant back in World War II. Our former enemies have been turned into friends. That is our unique way as Americans. In time, we forgive our enemies. Someday, we Southerners might even forgive the Yankees. Our war on terrorism will not really be over and won until we have made our enemies into our friends after we have defeated them, of course. We no longer blame the people alive today in Japan for the bombing of Pearl Harbor. So one of these future years on 9-11, we will need to celebrate both the defeat of terrorism and the creation of new friends. One way we can begin this healing process is to remember that all people are God's children and that God cares about all of us and that God never stops loving any of us ever, even in war. There is a very old Hebrew story about the angels of heaven throwing a party to celebrate the crossing of the Red Sea. There were great festivities and loud music and abundant food and joyful hymns of praise to God for his deliverance of the people of Israel from Pharaoh's army. Then some of the angels noticed that God wasn't there at the party and they asked where God might be. Another angel responded that God had been seen somewhere else in another part of heaven all alone, crying because he had lost many Egyptian sons that day. That is a story made up by Jewish rabbis who know that God's work is to make friends out of enemies. It is helpful for us to remember that God finds no joy in delivering some of his children when it involves the destruction of others of his children. Even when our own sinful actions result in judgment and punishment for us, God takes no joy in those occurrences. Remembering this can help us have the mind of Christ in dealing with enemies of today. God longs for us to one day live in peace and prosperity with one another on this planet. And so on this 10th anniversary of 9-1-1, we pause to remember those thousands of innocent people in planes, towers, and Pentagon whose lives were taken by the action of hateful terrorists. We pray for the families of those who've been grieving their losses for a decade now, and for the families of our fallen soldiers who died defending our freedoms in far distant countries. We also pray for our soldiers who are defending us today, working to defeat our enemies. And we pray for our president and our Congress as they lead us during these very, very difficult days. And finally, we obey the command of Christ and we pray even for our enemies, asking God to change them into our friends. Amen.
I invite you to stand as we affirm our faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed that is there on your screen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, We invite you to um, have a seat and we'll invite our ushers to assist us as we receive our morning offering at this time.
Let's stand and sing together. How many names can I use to explain the love of my Jesus, the life that He gave? So many times will I praise you today I lift up my life cause you're always the same and my Your 
what I hold on to. I know that you brought me through all the days of loss to the cross you knew. And I need a Savior. And I need a Savior. And I need Savior, that I need a Savior. And now may you go forth in peace, knowing that whatever tomorrow holds, God will be there before you are, and he will be with us to bring us his deliverance. Amen. And God will raise you up on eagles' wings, burn you on the breath of dawn, make you to shine like the sun, and hold you in the palm of God's hand. Have a great week.